Follow us on Facebook and Open Letter. But you know me by a different, much older name. A name perhaps you hoped you'd never hear again. I am Dave! 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 It's true. I'm Dave. This is an open letter. So... If you were hoping to have uh, time listening to the podcast in Open Letter, you have succeeded in this today. If nothing else, you are listening to an Open Letter. Thanks for listening. I appreciate it. A um, little plug here. If you could please go to iTunes and um, just give us a little review, hopefully positive, but any type of review helps us to show up on iTunes so more people can see us. And more people can listen if you enjoy this. If you don't like what we're doing, then why are you listening? But go give us a review anyway, because that's what we want you to do. So anyhow, welcome to an open letter. This is Dave. I have to my right my good friend and fellow Michigan Wolverine fan, uh, Chad Cashman. Hey, what's up? Go blue, right, Chad? Amen. Amen to that. That's right. Yes, they had a fantastic game last week. Did you, uh, you have Sparty's mic off over there? Sparty's mic. Oh, hang yeah, just, on. Yeah, just, just we don't because he might. Second. He might. <laughs> okay, it's off. So yeah, I, I although no, put Sparty's mic back on there. Mister Paul Holford is our guest once again. Hi, how are you? I'm great. Sparty took care of Penn State for you guys. Loved it, and you know what? I hope they do this sun Saturday. Take care of Ohio State. Absolutely, I that will would be, just be awesome. I will be a Sparty fan this Saturday. For those of you who are not sports ball fans. When we talk about Sparty, we're talking about the Michigan State Spartans and the Michigan Wolverines. And, and whatever the Ohio happens, State schmuck eyes. And whatever happens is preordained. That's right. That's it. Oh, wait a minute. We're gonna t- and, and then I have my lovely wife right next to me, Miss Carol Wilson Dash Tisma. Hello. Yeah. So we're gonna jump right into this here with my off the cuff question. We got a little football talk out of the way. That's always important. And. Today's question is, what do you enjoy most about Thanksgiving? Give you a second to think about that. Lots of choices. You got football, you got family, you got food, and you may have other things. I can see Paul as he's mulling over this question, chewing on it like a dog with an old bone. Paul, you think you're ready to answer this question? Definitely. Go for it. It has to be green bean casserole. Do you like it with the almonds or without the almonds? I've never had it with almonds. I'm coming to your house for Thanksgiving. French fried onions. French fried onions. French fried onions. Fried onions. Yeah, French fried onions. Oh, I'm thinking the kind Cream of mushroom soup. Oh, that kind. I don't think they put almonds in that. That, that sounds weird. You sound weird. Yes, I do. <laughs> okay, so that's a good answer. Yep. Um, Chatter Carol, go ahead. Uh, food. Next question. That's it? That's it. What kind of food? Come on. Um... Thanksgiving food? Well, see, here's the funny thing, buddy. Different people have different types of food for Thanksgiving. Not everyone does turkey and gravy and mashed potatoes and green bean casserole. Mm-hmm. I've heard many things. What do you like about your Thanksgiving? Food. I'm uh, sorry. As long as it's not something like tofurkey or something, you know, vegan. Sounds like I'm, you're swearing when you say tofurkey. It just sounds, tofurkey. <laughs> sounds like a swear. You have to beat that one out. Yeah. <laughs> this is a Christian station, so we cannot use the profanities. Carol. Um not having to work. <laughs> we go to my mom's house, we make her work, right? Or your mom. 
Yeah, that's true. I suppose I need to uh, gear up for actually doing the cooking one of these days. Yeah, well, someday. I would say for me, it is food's definitely part of it. Football's part. I like the whole kind of a thing there, but I do like just, I don't get to be around my kids as much as I used to when they were younger, of course. So it's great when we can uh, just be around family, hopefully play some games like Jackbox TV. and. Uh, yeah, that's fun. That is that's good times. You guys play some Jackbox TV? If I've we never play, even heard, never heard of it. If we play Jackbox games, then that'll be my favorite part. Okay, Jackbox TV is a really fun game. You can play on the computer, and your your um, we hook it up to a TV, a computer, to a television, and then you have uh, your cell phones are like you, how you're interacting with in the game boards on the TV, and there's just different games you can play. It's very fun, very cool. So it's a first world game. You have to have a cell phone. Yeah, you gotta okay. have a smartphone. You really do. And it's really fun to try to draw stuff on your phone with your finger and then have people recognize it or not. Especially when one of the prompts that you get is saddest sombrero in Mexico, and you have to draw that so that people will know what you're doing. Oh. Yeah, that's right. It gets very funny. Very is this silly. like a Dave Teesma made-up game? No, no, you can buy it. You can buy this. Yeah, people people awesome. pay money for this? Yeah, go to oh. it's through Steam, a company called Steam. If you know anything about video games, you know about Steam. And you know about making tea, you know about Steam. But anyway, that's something different. Peter Gabriel had a song called Steam. Did he? Before yes. my time. Gabriel? Before your time. How old a man are you? This is like people will hear this, though. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's Here, kind of here the I'll turn of your podcast. mic off. Ready, go. 35. Oh, oops, I turned it up too quick. Oh. <laughs> we want to try that again. <laughs> yeah, try it again. No, it's okay. So that, He's so young. Just a wee pup. Right. Well, how old are you, Chad? I'm younger than you. I know that. You're in your 40s, though, yeah? I am just younger than you. Okay. So everyone's so shy about their age. I'm 50. That's I don't care. all you need to know. There you go. All right. We left I, I look young yeah. for my age, though. I'm told that a lot. Okay. I get told that, too. It makes me happy. You get told that Chad looks young for his age? Mm-hmm. Yes. Very yes, strange. Yes, yes. All uh, the time. I, it's kind of well-known. <laughs> Apparently. I did not uh, have your own Facebook page. Chad looks young for his age. Yeah. Yep, all right. Yep. Okay, so we're going to... has got more likes than an open letter. <laughs> that does not surprise me. He's dissing this podcast. Sizzle. Yeah, you're kind of burning yourself since you're part of this and you're producing it. I know. That's what you get paid for. Of course. <laughs> I mean, yeah. We'll give yeah, you a raise. I get paid for. Yeah. I don't even get, get dinner. When? I said I don't even get dinner. When do you want it, though? I don't care. Thanksgiving dinner. Giving dinner. I think he's booked. Yeah. Probably. Everyone's, you don't know that. I don't know that. Are you booked for Thanksgiving dinner? Yes, but that's not there the point. Go. It is now. Last week, we left off with our friend Paul Holford talking about his addiction, talking about kind of how he got there. All right. So last week on an open letter, a very special episode of an open letter, we had our good friend Paul Holford. And why don't you give us the, uh, can you give us a two minute recap of what we talked about last week? So. Sure. Two-minute recap is um, I'm a former heroin addict, and I got um, kind of hooked on heroin through having a back surgery and being prescribed opioids. And following that, abusing those and moving on to harder things such as heroin because it's cheaper. That's really not the best reason to do heroin, but it was what I, where I ended up. I ended up doing some things that were not too cool to get hold of some of that stuff. Uh, I got kicked out of my house after about uh, just over a year and a half of abusing um, opioids and ended up in rehab for a year and three days exactly. And 
uh, came home, and I think we basically left off with me reintegrating into life after spending a year and three days in the middle of nowhere in Indiana. Which is really most of Indiana, isn't it? Pretty much, Okay. Yeah. yeah. So you said a second ago that it wasn't the best reason to use heroin. What would the best reason to use heroin be? <laughs> um, That's kind of just a I joke. can't think of any, to be honest. I mean, yeah. I've used a lot, but I can't think of any. So how long does a high normally last from heroin? How long is a high normally? I think it depends on um, when the last time you used was as well. But I could probably get through probably like an afternoon. Okay, so it's not real long. It's not super long. No, no. It's um, And the more that I ended up using, the more I had to use and upping the doses. And then I found myself falling into kind of like the cycle of guilt. And every time I was starting to become more lucid and more understanding what's going on, I had to go back out quickly. So how often do you need to – because let's say like compared to a smoker who like – I need to have, you know, this many number of this number of cigarettes a day. A pack a day? Yeah, so a pack is 10 cigarettes, is that 20 cigarettes? <laughs> so, um so probably how, like uh How many hits a day do you need of heroin if you're like Probably 3, 4. Then how much does it cost? Gosh, um well back in the day, it's been a while. Back in the day. Um it was it was a lot. I would I'm trying to think I I would hand over money and they would hand me stuff. Okay, so you so weren't it real was, I exact. Wasn't, I wasn't. I'm not good with math. <laughs> You're like the perfect so perfect I, customer for that. I don't know if I was getting ripped off or not, but I was handing them hundred dollar bills, and they were handing me stuff, and that was about it. I bet you were getting ripped off. Do no. I look that naive? No, we're, I think we're going for that. Maybe drug dealers maybe aren't the most honest people out I, there. I prefer that one. We're gonna yeah. go from that angle. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'd say it's probably safe to say, since you're breaking law anyway. Sorry, yeah. drug dealers, if you're listening. I'm not trying to profile, but. It makes sense to me. But who was I going to tell? <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. You go complain to the cops. Okay, so you you used again. You're at the priest, and that's where I want to pick up. Okay. So I ended up going home after that and telling my wife. You told her right away? Yes. How'd and that was, go? You were um, super scared, right? I was. I, it wasn't easy. It was one of those things where I like, called my brother-in-law, and I was like, come and pick me up. I got to tell my wife something. I called the rehab that I was in saying, hey, would you take me back if my wife kicks me out? Oh. Um, I went down all those avenues and covered all my bases just in case she decided to kick me out because mm. that was the ar- arrangement. How, was, how scared were you going home? Scared. It, I, was, I felt I was in a safe routine. When you're somewhere for a year and three days, you get into a safe routine sure. where it's a controlled environment. There's no, no or very limited internet access. I'm not interacting with anybody in the area. I'm... In the rehab, I'm getting up, going to work, going to class, going to work, going to class, yeah. going to bed. And now I'm sitting at home with nothing to do. Right. And that well. didn't go – well, yeah. So I enrolled in at CC, obviously. But when I came home to tell my wife, we kind of just sat down and talked it out. So what was her initial response? Um, shock, but not surprised, if you know what I mean. There's sure. The, there's the – I knew it was coming, but why did it have to happen? Right. So what were the first, do you remember what the first questions were from her? Why? Because I want to know the answer. Yeah. Oh. Oh, 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 oh that was okay. her. Oh. <laughs> no, her, her question was, why, why, go, why are you going back? Why, what made you do this again? Did you have a good answer? No, and I really still don't. That's like the annoying part to this story is 
I can explain all the ones before rehab, the one after rehab. There's no real like I can be like, well, I was bored or because I want to get rid of excuses. And I just had to tell her I chose the stupid thing to do. How did she respond to that? I don't remember vividly, but I remember we sat in that evening and talked and cried. And my Mm -hmm. father-in-law came over and we worked out a plan. Were you still somewhat under the influence of heroin when you went home? No, no. I, as, I, were... I came clean to her probably about two days after I had used, and it was kind of a guilty conscience. I was downtown. I went to talk to this priest kind of thing. So it wasn't a walk in the parking lot, see the guy use, end up at the church. It oh, was oh, kind oh, of met the guy, yeah, met the guy, used, went home, did whatever, went to class a couple times the next day. So it wasn't obvious when you were using. You didn't act differently? I didn't go home while I was high. Mm. And you made up excuses as to why you were gone. Yeah. And I'm pretty good at making up excuses. Well, addicts always become good liars. We're really good liars and manipulators. So, um, yeah, so that was the last time I used and hopefully the last time I'll use. Um, my wife probably doesn't want to hear me say that. But well, nobody nobody who loves you or cares about you wants to hear you say that. So why do you feel you have to say it that way? I have to say it that way because there's always the off chance that I do something stupid. I'm a guy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the beard gave that away. Okay, good. Well, my mom, no. Anyway. Um, <laughs> oh. What? Your mom has a beard? I didn't say that. You did. I didn't. No. You I just don't. asked. Why would you ask my mother has a beard? Because you implied it. Anyway, um, sorry, Mrs. Holford. So I, you, I phrase it that way because I never want to think that I'm beyond that. Once I start thinking that this is completely beat, I'm screwing myself over and living in denial. How crucial is it for addicts? Do you think that's just for most addicts or do you think it's more true of you? Or For most addicts that I deal with and talk to, it is something that we hold true. Not that we are addicts forever. Not that we say I'm once an addict, always an addict, but we have to know that go that there are certain steps that if we go down, they're dangerous to go down. And one of those is if if for for me is um, opioids. I've red flagged myself for opioids. I cannot be prescribed those. Right. So I have a friend of mine who is a uh, would call himself a recovering alcoholic, and he Mm -hmm. uh, very bravely shared his story at our church a couple weeks ago. And a lot of over the last couple of years, he was always afraid, like, I'm just a relapse waiting to happen. How do you get away from trying to? So there's this tension between I want to have that right mindset, right? So I don't want to get arrogant and cocky and go, I can just live life because now I'm normal. And then this whole kind of more of a despair of I'm just a relapse waiting to happen. It's just a matter of time. I feel like the um, sharing my story is the biggest thing. The more people who know, the more people that I can also share the hope with that there is light at the end of the tunnel. I feel that is, um, for lack of a better word, the saving grace. That's what keeps me from doing something stupid again because I'm actively bringing people into my story. And when you bring people in, they kind of give you this reminder of what's worth not doing something stupid for. So how often do you tell your story then? When Does that ever end? Um, I had a parishioner tell me one time, when are you going to stop telling this story? Mm-hmm. Um, because... For me, it's interwoven into who I am, how I minister, and how I view God, Scripture, and the whole nine yards. So you're telling – you have a chance now because you're probably telling maybe dozens of people that uh, – or maybe like 10. Who knows? Who knows? It could be as many as like 15. We don't know who's listening. Um, not like they're <laughs> writing reviews. Sorry. Um, <laughs> 
had to throw that in there. A uh, little bit of guilt for you listeners. So you become a pastor. You go through this relapse. How much time elapses between you using again and you becoming a pastor? That was part of the plan that we sat down and did. Was oh. this this idea that, okay, I was going to CC. I was taking classes. I was taking um, photography classes. I wanted to do what, photography and all that. Sure. And then we said, I had started my um, degree through Trinity. And my wife said, pick it back up. Start doing that again. So basically, you guys are like, hey, I was a heroin addict for a while. I was in rehab for a year and three days. I'm a month out. I've used again. Let's be a pastor. I don't think the word was let's be a pastor. I think that is not what she would have suggested in the moment. I okay. think it was let's refocus onto something that brings life. Oh, I like that. That's cool. So she's like, was that her suggestion or yours? I think it was both of ours. I think it was this thing that I've, because I was working in churches before as well. And I had taught um, um, Bible at local um, high school here, in uh, private school here in Belding, uh, mm-hmm. Grand Rapids. And I think it was one of those things I kept getting drawn to, kept getting drawn to, and kept saying I want to do something else. So um, she kind of pushed me back in that direction and said, hey, you started this. Finish it, idiot. <laughs> does, she, <laughs> does she call you idiot sometimes, or is that just you um, reading into it? That's me reading her eyes. Oh, so the yeah. eyes are screaming idiot, but the mouth is saying somewhat nicer things. Yes, definitely. All right, yeah. my wife does that too sometimes. Yeah. I do? Well, yeah. Like right now? No, not oh. right now. But the other day, uh, anyway. So you you go back, you finish your degree. Yep. How long does that take? Um, it probably took me um, a lot longer than it should have taken me. I think it took me about another two and a half years after that. Okay. And so, yeah, about another two and a half years, and that's through uh, Trinity Theological in Newburgh, Indiana. So you went, you did you live down there? No, we did distance. Oh, okay. Distance learning. Okay. So I did the distance learning through there because leaving the house was probably like going somewhere else away from my wife and moving everybody away wasn't a good good yeah, idea. Terrible idea. Yeah. So were you working during that time too? Yeah. So I was working as well. Um, I got a job at the local BP on uh, Plainfield and um, Alpine. Oh, not Plainfield. Yeah, Plainfield in 96. Um, worked there, was working third shift there, um, working at Sam's Club and doing all this and then starting to apply for jobs at churches. So when I applied for church jobs, there was a couple of websites I would go on and put my resume and everything. Yeah. Did you, and that was, boy, that was back in the year 2000. So um, you did you do some of the same I things? Did, I did some of that. The, the, the funny thing about how I found um, the job that I have now mm-hmm. is I found it on Craigslist. <laughs> what? So you can find heroin on Craigslist and you can find pastoral jobs on Craigslist. And sometimes by the same poster. No, <laughs> just kidding. I hope. Anyway, so here's my question for you: yeah. were, Did you were you ever high? Did you ever go to church high? Um, yes. What was that like? Um, normal for <laughs> then. Normal. And, and one thing I want to ask: It was I'm more gonna, of like coming down off of something than actually actively being high. I am curious about one thing because yeah. again, I told you that I feel like I'm a little bit of an expert on drugs because I did watch Breaking <laughs> Bad, the yes. whole thing. Yeah. So it's, I want to make sure I have that. I have the street cred out there. So. Uh, what does being high with heroin feel like? How do you just feel like being in your mother's womb? I don't know. Um, <laughs> what, what? I don't remember what that feels like either. Uh-huh. Um, so you're saying being cal- high with heroin feels like being in your mother's womb? It's calming. Like the world comes, it's like you're enclosed. There's nothing out there anymore to bother you or distract you. It's calming. And then all of a sudden you kind of slowly start waking up and remembering all the crap that's out there. So you're super, super chill. 
Is it? I could, yeah. Kind of like taking OxyContin after surgery. Um, yes, if you crush it and snort it. Did you? Did you take it? I, like I've that? never done it like that. Yeah, yes, no, it, it, like it, it is the same kind of. Thing. I've yeah, never yeah. done OxyContin, but I have done some pain meds with you have opiates. I yes. know you have because you had your car accident. Yes, you, I was had two surgeries on my foot. So. Yeah, and you're doing better now, though. Yes, I am doing better. Did so, you go ahead? I was as, as an intensified version of that. Okay. So you, I imagine, what's the name of the church where you are now? Um, the First Congregational Church of Belding United Church of Christ. It's mm-hmm. a long one. That is, and what's the acronym for that? Um, FCC Belding UCC. Mm, okay. <laughs> it's important to say Belding. All right. So let me, were they the first church that contacted you? They were the only one. The only one? Yeah. Did you have on your resume at the top header, former heroin addict? I was open and honest. Well, as well, you should be. Were I you? was open. I, I was part of the part of the um, communication with any church was this is my story. This is where I'm at. Okay. And um, the reason they ended up posting, and this shows a lot about maybe the building area they posted on on Craigslist was um, we had a sheep farmer who goes to that who used to go to that church. He well, who, who doesn't? Who, every church should have a sheep sure. farmer, and he makes his own home home brewed wine. Perfect. But um, he said, I buy and sell sheep on uh, Craigslist. Why don't we just throw our information up there and see if we get any responses? Did they get many responses? I don't know if they got many responses from (laughs) Craigslist. Um, They got mine. They did. Yeah. And um, they said, do you want to come and speak at our church? And I was like, okay. Did you think you had any chance at all to become a pastor? No. No. No chance at all. A senior pastor. No chance at all. No. But you put Is it up that there. what you were hoping for? For no chance at all? No. no, I mean to become a senior pastor. I was hoping to be involved in church in some way, shape, or form. Did you? But did you want to be a senior yes. pastor? Okay, yeah. that yeah. was your. That was so that my, was goal dream. What did yeah. your wife think about your chances of being a senior pastor? I have never really asked her that. Hmm. That's why we ask the tough questions here. I'm gonna have to go home tonight and say, "Hey, honey." <laughs> Is that how you talk to her? Right now it is. <laughs> She's not here to slap me. No, good, good to know. And the beard hides the slap mark anyway in the face. Yeah. yeah, you might want to think about that. Yeah. So you get contact. They contact you. Contacted them. Yep. And you said, "I said, hey, I'm graduating soon. Um, uh, you are 30 minutes away from where I, uh, 30 miles from where I live. I wouldn't have to relocate. I kind of like sold myself. Yeah, sure. And um, they responded pretty swiftly after that and said, "What do you feel? How do you feel about filling the pulpit one Sunday? And we see how it goes." And I did. And they asked me to come back two more times. So what? Who had you ever had you ever preached a sermon before? Yes, yes. Where? Um, I had preached at my father-in-law's church quite a bit. Um, when I was before I was doing drugs. Sure. And um, just working at the local Christian school, preparing stuff like that. I had opportunities to share mostly with youth groups and things like this. So this was going from mostly working and preparing youth sermons to real adults. Which do you remember what you preached on that first Sunday? Abraham. Ooh. Yes, because it was kind of like the go-to one that I had in my back pocket. How much of it involved your story? None of it involved my story at that point. Okay. I, was, I wasn't going to um, spill the beans to the whole congregation of like mm. however many people were there at that moment. How many about were there? I think there were about 35 there when I was there. Okay. So, so what was the conversation like when you're, these guys are like, hey, come. Are you kind of like, <coughs> are, you, are you wondering like, uh, do you want to talk about 
this heroin addict thing? They didn't seem to be too worried about it. Uh, I was the one that had to bring it up in the interview process. You brought it up. Oh, I brought it up. And how I, did? Yeah, how'd that go? Um, they were kind of like, "Are you still doing it?" No. How long have you been sober? I'm. So I said about four and a half, almost five years at that point. Mm-hmm. And they said, "Well, is it an issue?" I said, "I don't see it as an issue right now, but no, not really." Okay. Everybody, nobody's perfect. They were very understanding. Wow. And they still continue to be understanding. How did that's that, cool? How did that strike you at the time? Um, needy. <laughs> 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 wondering wondering who else was applying for this job. Do you know if other people had applied yeah, for it? Yeah, there were a couple of other people. Wow. Were they former heroin addicts or not? Um, no, they were far more qualified probably. Wow. So, Do you remember what that first sermon was about? Yeah, it was Abraham um, sacrificing Isaac. And it was oh, kind it was of the, the Isaac it, thing. It was the whole, like, what are you not willing to kill for God? It was a really Ooh. bad sermon. Was it really? Oh, gosh. No. Why? Aren't all first sermons awful? Sure. I mean, <laughs> you got to think about this. I don't know these people in any way, shape, or form. There's no way I can yes. connect with them on a personal right. level. And I'm like, uh, probably rambling, twiddling my pen. It so was, your first message is, hey, I don't know you guys, but there's probably something in your life you need to kill. Yeah. Great. <laughs> and, and, and God like, might show up and tell you not to kill it later. Who knows? And they, If you're lucky. But uh, be sure I'm to wait for that where the knife is raised. Just yep. make sure you're listening for the angel. Yep. Fair enough. Yeah. So... They invite you back? Yeah, they had me back two more times. And the third time was their business meeting. And they invited my mm. wife and Annie and I to come to their business meeting downstairs for a potluck meal. And then I didn't hear from them until, until February. Oh. So there was this radio silence for a while. Yeah, so how did that feel? Um, like crap. I mean, it was kind of like, oh, it went well, went well. They kind of liked me. And then it was like nothing. Okay. And um, Annie and I were at a restaurant one day and we're um, talking and I was like, I'm just going to forget about it. I'm going to start applying other places because I'd stopped applying. Sure. Thinking, it's like, I wish they would just call me back to say no. Yeah, just just let me. Just let me know. And they called me back that day while we're sitting at that restaurant. And they said, hey, we want to hire you. We just voted last Sunday. We voted you as our pastor. And I was kind of like, "Uh, okay, I didn't know that I was being voted on at this moment. Um, (laughs) Yeah. So you've worked on their communication process since then. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah, yeah. Excellent. We've introduced them to email. Uh, I know. Those sheep farmers don't email a lot? Not really. Okay. They Craigslist, though. Apparently. They yeah, do know so, about the interwebs. Yeah. So um, they said, yep. And I said, sure. And they said, when's my, when? They said, February 5th. I was like, okay. That's like a Sunday away. <laughs> hey. hey. So what was sermon number two about? I don't remember because I was working third shift at that time. Oh, so I worked third shift that Saturday night, and I went to church that Sunday morning. After having been up all night. After having been up all night, and sure. I blabbered on about something. And then we went home, and my wife lit herself on fire. She lit herself on fire. Yeah. Wow, it seems like an interesting reaction to your first uh, official Sunday yep. as a pastor. Fire Is that because she was so convicted? I don't know. I was or sleeping was she on the couch. she fire with the Holy Spirit? <laughs> No. So what happened? What do you, she, so this is a real story. Yeah, it is a real story. Right. She, we, we got home that day, and I'm fast asleep on the couch, and she's reaching over the stove oh, to no. get uh, – we have our spices above our stove, stupid place to keep them. Well, and She's wearing one of those athletic shirts, and it goes up in flames. Better than keeping gasoline up there. Good point. There's always worse things to keep above a stove. Yeah. And she goes, I'm on fire, I'm on fire, and I oh. had to put the fire out. She was fine. It, she wasn't burnt. It was her birthday. It was all good. <laughs> How was how was uh, how did her uh, outfit fare? 
Um, it ended up in the sink. I think we threw it away, hopefully. Well, I would imagine it's, the fr- <laughs> it's framed so. Actually, Paul's wearing it tonight. I am. It's a midriff. <laughs> it's not attractive. Um, so, anyway, you now, I, I want to know when you spilled the beans to the congregation. Um, it, it was known through the interview process. So, majority of people knew about it already. Sure. And it was just slowly over time, I would like just work different things about my story into um, the sermons. Okay. And a lot of it was focusing on redemption. I didn't want to focus on the negative side Absolutely. of it. I wanted to focus on redemption. I wanted to focus on what forgiveness truly looks like. Mm-hmm. And that's when I kind of said, like, my wife embodies divine forgiveness. Yeah. There's no human way that this woman would forgive or anybody would forgive the way this woman has forgiven me. And then you light her on fire. Well, I was sleeping when that happened, uh, uh, but she was so, making me uh, yeah. soup. Mm-hmm. Apparently, <laughs> it was her birthday, and she was cooking for you. Wow, this is getting ugly. Hey, you know what? I worked. Yeah, I'm going to stop. Um, and you yeah. were sleeping on the couch, right? It was yes. the day allegedly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but you work third shift, so it was your night. That's true. That's because you're the middle of the day is your night, and you'd been up all night and just preached a sermon. Yes, but so, I, didn't, I didn't have a kid at that time to wake me up, which is exhausting. So I was I was watching the football games. Uh-huh. The more I hear about this woman, the more I want to meet her. She is pretty cool. <laughs> we will have to uh, arrange time for us to get together sometime. That works. That would be cool. So you've been there now how many years? It'll be six years on February 5th. How? What type of feedback did you get from people as you slowly, and once once people like realized, oh, crap, dude, you used to be a heroin addict? Disbelief. Yeah, like what, no, are, like, what are some of the things people have said to you? I don't see you that way has been the biggest response that I've ever received. Do you, ever, do you ever ask how That's they it. see heroin addicts? I have not. That's a good one. You know what? Every time I do this, He's I'm going to call questions. you. Yeah. <laughs> That's my job. <laughs> I, am, I, I host a podcast where I ask lots of questions. So, yeah, the, the, most people respond with, I don't see you that way anymore, but that's really cool. Yeah. So you, then you ask them if they've seen Breaking Bad. Bad. Anyway. <laughs> so you said something about talking to addicts now are you involved in a ministry that reaches out to heroin addicts or um, is that just the crowd have, you interact with i or? do have i have a connection with a gentleman who attends our church who works um with mel trotter and other places in grand rapids with addicts Can you explain what mel trotter is a minute mel trotter is a the homeless one of the homeless shelters in downtown uh grand rapids um, and they also work with um, addicts and rehoming people. And it's a ministry, a mercy ministry, I would call it, mm-hmm. um, in the Grand Rapids area. Okay. And he works a little bit with them and with some of the mental health facilities in Grand Rapids. And um, we've um, worked with addicts. Unfortunately, the, um, the, the hard part about working with addicts is I recently had to do a funeral for a mm. 25-year-old young lady or 28-year-old young lady mm-hmm. who passed away from an overdose. Was it was uh, it heroin or something? Heroin. That was a heroin overdose. How big of a problem is heroin up in building? If you ask the government there, not very much. Sure. But it's it's a deal. It's a big deal. We've I mean, the local newspaper up in Greenville did a, an article on my story and I've been getting phone calls quite often. How about, off, how often is quite often? Probably once or twice a week from different people. Just like, saying, what my, do do? what do we do? This is yeah. our family member. This is, what do we do this? Do we do that? Will mm-hmm. you meet with them? Will you talk with them? The sad part is, when it comes to addiction, sometimes families reach out. And I don't want to say, the, don't take this the wrong way. Not, it's never too late. I understand what you're but, saying. But when, when it's gone so far that there's no communi- the communication and trust has been completely destroyed among the family. Why do you think they wait so long? I think there's a stigma. 
there is a mm-hmm. stigma that comes along with if you have a family member who is um, dealing with anything, um, whether it be mental health or addiction or any any form of um, self-destructive behavior, and we like to sweep them under under the rug and say it's not happening to us. Yeah, it's seen as a weakness. Yeah. Yeah, which is crazy because if you were looking in the Gospels and we're reading the writings of Paul, you know, about, you know, Christ's strength is found made perfect in our weakness. Again, not as a point to revel in our weakness, but Paul basically saying, my weakness will become my testimony. Yeah. Why do you feel like the church is like that? Why do we handle, why does the church, not always, but in a lot of times the church handle addiction poorly? Um, I think it handles addiction poorly because it views addiction in the wrong way. Explain. I think it views, it views addiction, and again, don't get me wrong when I just gloss over it this way. It views it as a total sin issue that somebody can just stop doing and they need to correct their behavior. If you correct your behavior, then you're going to be okay. Right, and just to stop doing that. Stop doing that, yeah. Kind of like if somebody eats too much, just stop eating too much. Um, and there's they, they kind of they generally get rid of the science and the psychology and all that behind addiction and kind of want to pray it away. Mm-hmm. Which we are, we're fans of prayer. We believe in prayer. Oh, yep. And we're going to circle back to this in just a minute because Carol's got some uh, really interesting stuff. She showed us a little bit of a video. Yes, you do. Um, so about uh, addiction in the cage and that type of a thing. But I want you to just tell us a little bit about your church up in Belding, which is north of Grand Rapids, about 20 miles? Uh, yeah, about 30 miles. Okay. Just, uh, yeah, just north of Belding before you get like, just halfway to Ionia. Yeah, so those of you who are looking for a church this Sunday, there's a place you could go. Yep, we meet at 1030. We're pretty cool. So tell us about your church. We are a United Church of Christ. What does um, that mean? That's the denomination, kind of like some people are Baptists, other people are No, Methodists. I got that, but I mean, oh, explain okay. what that United of Church of Christ is. And it's kind of like a loose umbrella that churches can fall under. There is no one doctrinal statement that they all must agree to. Each church is independent from all the other churches. So it's a loose association where you still have that accountability and resources mm-hmm. if you need it, but they're not telling you who to hire, who mm-hmm. to fire, what so to preach on. And how, all is that. Your, how is your church different than the other? What makes your church unique? Me? From, no. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. What makes it unique? We have a pipe organ, the only pipe organ in Belding, I guess. That's cool. Is it, though? Yeah. Oh, it is. It shakes, right. those, it shakes those windows. Nice. All right. You have stained glass? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's a very litur- it's a liturgical church, uh, very okay. traditional. I wear robes and uh, pyramids. We have the pyramids we change. We stick to Ooh. the... We, we Yeah, we, we church, follow the church calendar. So, yeah, so uh, it's kind of, there's definitely tradition built into it. Tradition is built into it, and that's something that I didn't come from. So I find that quite oh. unique, um, quite, it's innovating to me to be able to work with a liturgy each week and decide on readings and um, structures and calls to worships and invocations and stuff like that. So I have a question for you. Yeah. What's a pyramid? Pyramid. <laughs> I was just going to look that up. <laughs> I saw you looking up. I'm like, I'm not the only one who doesn't know. <laughs> no. My really smart wife doesn't know. <laughs> that means if I give you the answer, you're going to believe me. Oh, gosh. Oh, pyramid. Uh, well, um, we have the interwebs to look okay. at. So, so pyramids would be um, kind of the different colors that change. 
in the church oh. where you have the um in front of the altars you have the flags that have kind the cross on and the, like yeah you to, but, like yeah, the purple for Lent purple and, for Lent and okay. then like we just had white because it was All Saints oh. and then it goes back to green because it's ordinary time and then it goes it changes to red during different seasons. So what about Advent? What's Advent? Advent is usually red or um, purple. It really depends. On what? I, on the church and the way you decide to do it. So what do you do? Depends on the year. What are you doing this year? <laughs> I Lent is until next year. I, I got, oh, I got Advent, time. Advent. <laughs> Ad, Advent's going to be um, white. Oh, okay. So I have a question. Yeah. I grew up without any of that stuff either, yeah. and I found it kind of appealing. While I was, while I was in college, I started buying like Catholic prayer books and reading some of the old church fathers and really got into it. But I find that since you're dealing with addiction and talking about that kind of thing and connection being the antidote to that, how do you, how do you weave together um, connection and, and community with a liturgical sort of more formal type of church. Why do you feel like that kind of is against? It kind of no. works against that. Well, just in my experience, I when I've been in churches that are like that, there's not as much interaction between people. It was sort of like you go and you go through the service and then you go home because it's over. Why don't you want to go home? When it's over. No, I'm joking. No. Oh. <laughs> but, Whoa. <laughs> so um, how, for instance, one of the things that we're doing this Sunday is our prayer of confession is going to be a nonviolent prayer of confession as a group. That has, what does that have, mean? Do you normally have violent prayers of confession? No, because, <laughs> you know. Just the question. Wow. The, the, when Michigan, Michigan State play. Hey. Uh, no, but in light of the shooting that unfortunately took place in Texas last Sunday, um, it's something yeah. that as a community of our faith community, we're coming together and we're banding together saying, as our community, this is our response to things like this. Um, so I think when litur- when traditional liturgy and all churches have their own kind of liturgy, whether it's three songs and a sermon, but um, the interaction and the community can be built together when you have that common purpose. Um, we do a lot of um, incorporating of trying to incorporate our teenagers in our liturgy where they're the liturgical leaders mm-hmm. and they're the ones that are leading um, cool. the prayers and the responses. So, um, And I also think it can... It's what happens after everything is said and done. Sure. Where you get together and what happens outside of the walls, that's more important. Okay, so, and then there's one last thing I want to bring up on the church, and then we're going to shift gears a little bit here. I want you to talk about beer and Bible study, (laughs) which is actually kind of a growing thing. And I know that we probably have listeners that are cringing at that thing, and that sounds like the dumbest idea ever so what's going on with beer and Bible study? Well, beers and Bible study, we started roughly about three years ago at our church. It took me uh, about two years of earning their trust before jumping into something like that. Good plan. Yeah, they were wise. Um, and we have um, we integrate different speakers. So our goal for beers and Bible is we have a speaker who will speak on something for about 20, 25 minutes and then open the floor for people to call him an idiot and say he's wrong and allow people the freedom to express their theological beliefs or what they wrestle with the most. But it's also given us this beautiful 
sacred time of we unfortunately have um we had somebody who lost a grandson in our church uh, th- oh, their wow. grandson passed away about uh, when he was 11 years old oh, after man. going through um oh. cancer for most Next. of his life and it gave that family a time in w- a safe sacred space where they could basically you don't need to bleep me out but curse guard out and say why the heck does stuff like this happen Sure. And not that we came to give answers, but we came to be with them as a community. Mm. Um, our Beers and Bible has morphed now. We're slowly changing it um, because we're finding um, that too much of that freedom is keeping people from coming. Oh, really? How, how so? Um, we're, we're finding that um, people have not, pe- some people are not great fans of having their views challenged mm-hmm. um in a in an open space okay because one of the things with an open space is over time you the there's certain dominant voices that keep on mm-hmm. coming up oh yeah and other people will start saying well these people must be right because they're louder than we are <laughs> and i must change our my point of view and we found that happening so what we're doing now is we have our wednesday evening services at our church and then after that on the last wednesday of every month we go from the church service to the bar and we it's just free for all just just go just go and um it's been a very fruitful time of people to be able to just let go mm-hmm. and disagree with their pastor without the without the feeling of he's going to preach about it next sunday and you get a couple <laughs> beers in them and people do start to talk a little more they, they do. do they do and that's when all the cell phones have to disappear so nobody's taking pictures and posting huh. them on facebook probably and, a good yeah. idea smart um, how many people go to your church now? Um, we're up to about 70. Nice. So you've yeah. doubled it. Good. Yeah. Um, and then how, do you think you're going to retire from this place or you're not sure? I don't know. I, I might. They might fire me someday. I'm not sure. Yeah. What know? would they fire you for? Who knows? Be, talking about Jesus? Well, <laughs> you, <laughs> if they fire gonna... me for that, I'm good. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> no, um, no. They're a very um, great, loving community. Um, uh, I could see myself there for a while. Cool. Carol had introduced us or showed us a little bit of a video on YouTube before we started this session. And Carol, I want to kind of impromptu turn this over to you a little bit. You found some of the, there's some really interesting stuff on there. And I kind of want you and Paul to converse a little bit about, uh, and of course I'll throw my opinion in because I can't keep my mouth shut. Um, Everyone's nodding. That's weird. Um, So if you could kind of go over that, a little bit of that video with Paul and kind of, the mic is yours. So you're going to talk about, she's giving me a panicked look. <laughs> so you, I want you to talk about the, how we've gotten addiction wrong and, um, and some of that that you were showing us about the rats and stuff. Can you do that? Okay. You can do that. Yeah. All right. Go ahead. Okay. So it used to be that the view of addiction was that it was the result of the chemicals and what they did to people's bodies. Um, and a lot of the research that was done about addiction was done using rats and those rats were kept in cages and in individual cages and rats would continue to drink this heroin laced water until they died. They just would not stop. And there were a couple of things that challenged that view of addiction, including a man named Dr. Alexander who decided what would happen. He wanted to see what would happen if those rats were not kept alone in cages. And he created this fantastic rat park where they could do all sorts of fun things and play games and slide through little 
tunnels and I didn't know rats like that. They but okay. do. They do. They had so much fun. <laughs> and he provided them with both clean water and drug-laced water, heroin-laced water. And the rats pretty much ignored the drug water. And none of them overdosed. And none of them um, would just gorge themselves on that water like they did when they were alone. So he started wondering about the nature of addiction and then um, the other... Uh, element to his re- to his research and that inspired him was that a lot of the soldiers that came home from Vietnam that had been addicted to heroin over in Vietnam came home reconnected with their families and then just quit and they didn't go through withdrawal they didn't um, relapse they just returned to normal life. Um, and what was his con- what was his conclusion? So then? his conclusion was that the addiction isn't necessarily just a chemical response to the chemicals of the drug, but also has maybe even more to do with the nature of the person's existence and whether they are alone, whether they are feeling isolated or helpless or trapped or just disconnected from society. And then what did you talk about the cages? You said it's not about it's not about behavior. It's not about behavior. It's about the cage you're in. Right. And so, Paul, I want you to you, you watch the video with us. Could you comment on that? What do you think I, about that? I think there is some truth to that. I think um, the whole idea of leaving your area and going somewhere else and the idea of taking your troubles will go with you, that, that is true. You can't just relocate and technically change from one cage to another. Your, the community is is the important part. And what you talked about in the study with the rats was they had the, for lack of a better word, rat utopia. Yeah. They they had the relationship. Rat-topia. Rat-topia. I knew I wanted oh, yeah. to say that. It sounds like an album name. Anyway. Ratatouille. It's going to be <laughs> our rap movie. album, isn't it? No. No? No. I can no. lay down a beat. It's really bad. Anyway. Just, just lay um, down. <laughs> but I think a real part to my recovery and staying sober is exactly that. It is coming home and having the support of my family, my friends, being sharing my story, but then also um, finding a purpose that is about other people than not just myself. I don't have that desire to go and use anymore because my desire is for something different. And in that um, video you showed, the rat's desire changed. The desire was for the healthy water. Um, I think isolation is... um, People have this idea, probably because of Breaking Bad, and movies um, uh, like Half Baked and stuff like that, that um, drugs is a very social activity, yeah. that no. people do it all together and it's a big party and then they can, mm. it's not. It's a very isolating activity. Yeah. You it, do it to get away. It probably, it may start there at the party, right? It may start at a party, but it doesn't end there. Not, yeah. when, you're, well, not when you're an addict. Not when you're an addiction. You are isolating yourself from everybody. And when you isolate yeah. yourself from everybody, you're isolating yourself from help. You're isolating mm. yourself from the... Um, support and the people who are willing to uh, slap you around to get you help. So, so one of the things that concerns me is seeing in people close to me and um, um, sometimes students, you hear about them going to rehab and then coming out, but it seems like they're not necessarily given that same support. Like, they, they do great in rehab and then they're let out because they're doing well, but then they go home and it's just the same thing as it was before. It's, it's kind of so, like, 
kind of like the saying is easy to it's easy not to steal when you're in jail mm-hmm. it's easy yeah. to stay sober when you're in rehab sure um so what what can be done the church needs to step up and provide that support i mean th- i mean that's if we're just going to be blatantly sure. honest yeah. no be blatantly honest because you're 100 percent true thank you the church has to step up yeah. and 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 they're not they ought to be a transition from an addiction recovery program yeah, yeah. to a different lifestyle. So let me ask you this, and Chad, I want you to comment. And Paul, what do you think the church looks like now? And, and again, a lot of churches are all over the place with this. Some of it handle. I, I, actually, I don't know many churches that handle this really well. No. But where? How do you feel like the normal church handles these types of topics? So, Chad, you answer that first. Where do you think the church is? That I'll have Paul answer. Well, I think that there are some social groups that some churches make available, but it's not talked about that much. Because I I think at the beginning of the program here, you guys had mentioned that the view on on drug addiction in the church is um, it's a sin. And yeah, you might need help getting through it, but once you get through it, you're done. And you Mm -hmm. shouldn't go back. And it's just... They're not taking into consideration the effects of it. Um, I don't agree with this whole rat thing. (laughs) Because let me tell you something. I want to know, were those rats that the second guy did, were they exposed to the heroin in the first place? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, And secondly, when soldiers came out of Vietnam, they were not just sent home. They had to go through a period of... um, classes and and readjusting before they came back yeah but they didn't require the the rehab that they expected to have to provide to them but there was rehab in that sure sure it wasn't called rehab there was an element of that in there and perhaps that was part of their um recovery but to get back to the church there so the church you think is kind of missing the boat on this stuff Kind of, I think they are. And if they do offer a program, it's kind of like, okay, we'll do this on a Thursday night and kind of walk in the back door so nobody can see you type of thing, you think? Exactly. Oh, it is. And it's always got bad coffee. Yeah. Yeah. Always. <laughs> oh, really and bad stale coffee. Donuts. With stale donuts. powdered yeah. creamer. Leftover from oh. like co- the coffee hour they had at church on Sunday. The, the woman's Bible study. Yeah, that they didn't they want. They get the fresh donuts. But the thing is, with, with, with somebody coming out of rehab, they, don't, they need more than a Thursday. Right. They, they they need a community who's going to come around them, employ them. Mm. That's the hard thing. Coming out of rehab, I was explaining to empl- to people who I was asking to hire me why I had a year gap. Yeah, they don't like that. And yeah. when you say I was in rehab, like, eh, yeah, no. Yeah, they're like, next. So yeah. part of the problem is our busy schedules because as a single woman, a single mom, I had a hard time connecting with people because there wasn't anything to connect with. There wasn't anything provided. There wasn't any opportunity. Yes. I wonder if that has a lot to do with the West Michigan culture, though. I wonder, I don't know. I, I think it's, it'd be interesting because I think it's... I think it's pretty common. I think it's pretty... But it's it's common within West Michigan because we get so caught up into our... I mean... This is going to sound kind of weird, but I think West Michigan is too family oriented. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because we get so caught up in our family and our lifestyles and the people around us that we don't reach out to the people outside of our family enough. And if we 
brought people in who were addicts and tried to help them by giving them not just a safe place, but a place to start a new life and fresh and new, it would be less likely that they would go back. Because I know a guy who'd had that happen to him, and he is now a pastor himself. Okay. Does his name happen to be Paul Holford? No. Oh. Oh. There's another one? There's another one. (gasps) This guy went through Teen Challenge. Okay. And that could be very helpful. So, Paul, can comment on that kind of the state of the church and how how you think the church can get better at this and Chad's kind of talked about it a little bit I think the church can get better in it when it starts admitting that there's actually the problem out there um, one of the big things that happens and and this is just I think humanity in general is um, until it affects us we don't really take it super seriously mm-hmm. yeah until it's something that hits somebody that we love it's other people out there who are who are dealing with it Right. And um, what the church needs to do is kind of open their doors and say, for all of those who are hurting, this is a safe place. Mm. And it's, for lack of a better word, though, helping addicts is not sexy. Um, no. Building homes is a sexy thing to do. or Missions so, trips. Missions trips is a really <laughs> sexy thing to do. Or building a new building. Soup out of soup kitchen, ladling it in there once a year. Yeah, and, but putting, <laughs> it, putting in the actual hard work of yeah. helping somebody, one individual say sober, is a very hard, not rewarding, if you ask my wife, That's exhausting. Um, job because you're going to get hurt and you're mm-hmm. going to get burned. So we don't want to hear you all say, and I agree with it, is, and uh, my good friend Matt Prentice, who has been on this show a few times when we started off, is we just don't understand community and we don't do community well in the church. I agree. So how do we change? I mean, we've talked about it a little bit. So how? What do we do? What are some? What are some concrete things you're doing at your church to change this? It's hard because you're trying to, for lack of a better word, reprogram a generation or two of people who are used to doing things a specific way, mm. and it is very hard to convince somebody that church is not what you've grown up doing. Church yeah. is a lot more. Christianity is a lot more. And that's one of the reasons that um, I enjoy my what I do is because when you see the light bulb go off in somebody's in somebody's mind, oh, we need to do stuff for our community, and then they run with it and do something, mm-hmm. and they're the creative ones. You're like, wow, one out of like a hundred of you get it. This is good, <laughs> and one um, percent, yes. But I think what the church can do is really try and um, make connections with the homeless shelters and stuff like that, where they can. Make the connections with the addicts. So one of the attitudes in the church I grew up in that I've heard from so many people is that what really needs to be done is to be sh- to, sh- to show those people tough love. Which means what? In and, and usually that means... We kick them out? We, we don't associate with them. We let them get to the end of their rope until they can turn to nowhere else but God. Can you address that? <laughs> I can. And I would love to address that. Um, first, the first problem with that thought process is you're treating everybody the same, and nobody reacts the same way to the same kind of treatment. I reacted quite well to that because I, unfortunately, well, fortunately, I have never truly been very uncomfortable in my life. I've always had everything that's needed, mm-hmm. and when that was all taken away, when my wife kicked me out, I needed, I needed something. Other people, they need that, they, they've been lacking that love and they've been lacking that community 
And that is that might be what wakes them up to there's something greater out there. Mm -hmm. um, the problem with tough love is people think that tough love involves ignoring. Mm -hmm. Tough love involves the is, involves the no longer enabling. And you can no longer enable somebody <laughs> and still be extremely active in their lives. Mm. Mm, that's you, true. You can keep yeah. you can keep making making them feel loved by taking them out and find out what's going on in their life by being involved in things that they do, and then openly saying, "I really think you're stupid for snorting cocaine on the cocaine on the weekends." It's really messy, isn't it? It's really hard community in the first place, but community with addicts. I mean, like, and who wants to go to a church full of addicts? I would say that community in general is exactly like community with addicts because we all have those little hiccups right and we all want we want perfection we want and we 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 make it look like we have the perfect churches the perfect families and all these things right and as soon as if some people think that it's not going well they're going to bail so it's about getting back to which we talk about a lot on the show being vulnerable being the broken people that we really are not wallowing in it not saying we want to stay there but just an honest level gut check of the things we're addicted to, the things we struggle with, and the areas where we failed and continue to fail. Yeah, and being okay that other people fail and that we fail and embracing that. And instead of being like going to Paul's one of his letters and saying, you know, cut them off, treat them as you would an unbeliever, you know, and we like to go mm -hmm. the excommunication route because yeah. it's just easier. Yeah, I mean, I, I did uh, when I had to do the funeral for the young lady who passed away at 28 years old. I knew her from when she was this this tall. Oh, wow. So I knew yeah. her growing up. Um, families got disconnected, but I gave a whole sermon on what f my struggle. I preach um, nonviolence resistance. That is one of the big things that we speak about at our church. And I said I'm struggling with nonviolent resistance because I know the person who gave her that last hit, and I oh. want to deck him in the face when I see him at the funeral. Mm. Yeah. And I said, this is my struggle. Did you see him? Yes. And I didn't know. Somebody said, I'll give you bail money. And I didn't deck him. Uh, good good plan. But the, 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 the openness from the pulpit is where it kind of needs to start as well. When yeah. a minister or a pastor, when a youth pastor can be vulnerable and open, and they can still see that God is able to forgive and use. And they can still keep their job. That's the hard part. Yeah. That is the hard part because the church, unfortunately, <laughs> um, like they throw the, they, they eat their own. Yeah. My, yeah. Well, I've given they my story. My second church, when I was honest about my, I was using pornography, starting to use it again, and I was telling them right away. They're like, yeah, no, you're done. And of course, there's way more to the story than that. But, um, yeah, it's like you can't be a pastor and, and struggle with pornography. Yeah. Well, at least not be honest about it. Right. You can struggle with it, but nobody, yeah, nobody just, knows. Please just don't talk about yeah. it. Um, Paul, do you have another question? Yeah, I did. Um, I'm thinking that one of the one of the elements of American culture is that we expect our friends to do the same for us as we do for them. We sort of have this reciprocal thing. So like, oh, if some, yeah, reciprocity. So if somebody gives you a Christmas present, you're like, oh, shoot, I better run out and buy them a Christmas present. Yeah, absolutely. Because you got you to gotta pay Otherwise them back. Otherwise, you're a jerk. Yeah. And I think that that's part of the tough thing of working with people like addicts because they take so much and they don't give back. And, they don't have anything to give, really. Well, they do, but yeah. And just from my own experience, I found that pouring pouring myself into another person, but not having the community there to support me, made that really draining and really difficult. And I think that that if you're part of a community like like your church, where you might not be getting that reciprocity from the person you're pouring your life into, but you're getting it elsewhere. Mm -hmm. You're being fed elsewhere, and I think that. 
having a close-knit community makes it easier to reach out to other people. Yeah, it does, because it keeps you revived. Mm-hmm. Right, because you try to go it on your own, it's it's you just burn out. Yep. Well, Paul, it's been fun having you on. Um, Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Do you have anything you kind of want to finish, the last thoughts that you want to go out on? Like a sermon? I got, I can no, put no, up what I was no, working on. No, we, we, Ch- Chad is motioning to me. We are, uh, we're at about <laughs> where we need to wrap up. So just a, c- a couple thoughts kind of on uh, whatever you want, where, whatever direction you want to go. You Go ahead. Gosh. How much time have I got, Chad? 25 minutes? Good. Okay. No. Um, ending thoughts. So basically, there is hope. There is the church can do better and the church will do better. There is hope that the church can change and embrace um, what I believe its true meaning of, its true purpose of, is that's being ministers of reconciliation, reconciling people mm-hmm. to each other and reconciling people to God. And when a church really embraces that, we're going to see a, for lack of a better word, a revival inside of a church. Not a revival as in people in churches, but a revival of the of the serving and the justice and the mercy and the grace that overflows through people who are actively reconciling themselves to God and themselves to each other. Um, it can happen, and anybody can be part of it. That's the joy of the church. Mm. Thank you. And, I, and just a couple last things I want to mention here is that the church not only has to do this, the church must do this, because I don't think churches are going to be around very long if they're not going to step yeah. into this type of community because that's what people they're becoming more aware i think that their church survived for many years in america just because of tradition and this is what we do and religion and now people just don't care for the most part they're like yeah. i'm not if i don't want to go i'm not going to go i don't care what people think and so but if there is real community and there's mm-hmm. some real value and and there is yeah. we go to a church where there's real community and real value but we're fighting the stigma of decades and generations of we just do this because we're supposed to. Yeah. And the church has to change that, or the church that don't get that will just stop to exist. Yeah. And I they think should, we're seeing that. Maybe they should stop to exist. <laughs> I would I would be an advocate that they should stop Sometimes to exist. Sometimes they have to die so something else can be born. Yeah. Yeah. The circle of life. Circle <laughs> of life. All right. We're gonna we're gonna end this. Do you sing much, Paul? You sing no, little? they turn okay. my microphone off at church. And then oh. you just got your mic turned off here too. All right. So sad. It is sad. Um, All right. So, again, this is an open letter. I appreciate uh, everyone listening. If you want to get in touch with us, please find us on Facebook. Please, you can find us on iTunes and on SoundCloud. We have an email address. It's an open letter to you. That is spelled out, an open letter, the number two, the letter U, at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. We need to hear from you. Um, We'd like to know that you're out there. Again, thanks for listening. Hope you enjoy the rest of your day.